Hello, Ditch Diggers listeners. Thank you for checking out our podcast. I want to apologize in advance. I was having severe trouble with my microphone. I did not know what was wrong. Still not sure, but I've changed some stuff around, hopefully. The next episode will be better, but I have to say this episode, my audio is going in and out, and I've done everything I can to fix it, but it is still noticeable, and I'm sorry. It is season nine, episode one of The Ditch Diggers. And ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice For your writing career To be clear No punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off Believe me she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right Yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks Buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way To make your writer shut up It's hard work But the perk is that It's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there When you're done writing Ditch diggers Ditch Diggers! Coming to you live from the Sustainable Legume. Where do legumes grow? Fields. fields. We'll say fields. Sustainable yeah. Legume Fields behind the Ditch Diggers Manor. It is the Ditch Diggers with Mer Lafferty and Matt Wallace here to tell you about business and uh, writing or any kind of <laughs> pursuit. What are you no, looking at it. me for now? No, no, I just, I forgot that's what we were here to do. I thought we were here to talk about the Incredible Hulk, but um, if you're listening to this, you weren't here for that part. You weren't here for the 40 minutes where I talked about the Incredible Hulk. Oh God, we lost Mer's audio again. I didn't do anything. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I did not didn't. touch a thing. No, no, it's not you. We're fine. I'm sorry. I'm watching. I'm watching the Twitch stream. I'm watching the Twitch stream, and I forgot temporarily that I can't hear you in the Twitch stream. I'm listening to you on Zoom, so your mouth started moving, but no, no sound was coming out. Right. And because of the trauma of the last 40 minutes, my head just went. Oh my God, she's. We were muted again. We have so had. Was just... For those of you listening later, we've had a couple of hiccups on this recording attempt. But we're back and we're here and I apologize for whatever the audio is doing, but I'm not going to fiddle with it anymore because Matt has a day job and um, I have an appointment. So we got to get moving on this thing. What you been up to, dude? It's been forever. It has been forever. It's a new year. It's a new season of our uh, Hugo Award winning podcast. I, I'll throw that out at the, at the drop of a hat. I don't need a reason. Um, yeah, man, a lot. Uh in, in summary, we're not going to go into too many details of these things. Like I, I, We talked about this before, and we will go into the later date, and it's not the subject of the show. But the uh, first of the year, I kicked off 2023 by parting ways with my agent, which was a big deal. You know, it's always, That's a tough, tough decision to make. It is. It's always a big deal when you part ways with your agent. Um, and although it has, it probably it will be announced by the time the podcast comes out, it has not been announced right now. But I will say... For our audience, again, without going into too much details, I do have a new agent. So, Woo! can I say um, I told you so? You can say I told you so because Yay! you did tell me so. You yes, told me so yes. multiple times. I told you you'd have no problem that you're an amazing writer, and you got this. No problem. And it was no problem at all. It was very easy. No, I mean it wasn't easy, but it was it was a process, and it's yes. you know it's 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 a but it was everybody was very responsive. It was nice, kind of realizing I'm not. I'm not the, uh, you know, unknown quantity I was seven or eight years ago or whatever it was when I signed with my last agent. And God, was that, that was very long? 
Uh, to the end of 2015, I believe. So, uh, you know, a small piece of time there. But point is, a lot was accomplished in that time and gave me the tools I needed to move forward. So that is uh, largely what I spent the beginning of my year doing was, was making that transition and finding a new person to, you know, champion my career. And uh, now we're, we're moving forward and... As to the details, again, they will be announced soon. Uh, actually, I think I'm doing it right after the show. Now that I think you've got it. yourself a champion, so you're going gotten... gladiatorial on me. I mean, it's a gladiatorial industry. Mark. I'm so I excited. Feel, you know, we're all lone warriors out there, and we need we need all the support we can get. So, um, how about you, Mur? How have you? How's how's 2023 treating you? Oh, uh, fairly good. I got. Um... I did a, a big edit of my novel that I turned in right before the new year. And then I got comments back at near the end of January and the comments were great. It was I love awesome. I love the new stuff you've put in. I got a couple of change got a couple of questions. Of course it took me longer than I thought it would. It always does. But it's like there were several small changes to make. So nothing really gave me a big headache. But it took like a lot, several more hours than I thought it would. But besides that, I, I did knock it out in a day. Probably shouldn't have done that. But anyway, <laughs> and it has been accepted. So Chaos Terminal has been turned in officially before the deadline. So I'm hoping that it's it's on production now. But hopefully we'll be able to announce a release date too. And I'm hoping it's going to be the end of the year. Um, that's that's fantastic, dude. Yeah, and I. February's been a weird month. I'm not, I don't know if it's the light thing or what, but I'm, my, my mood hasn't, my mood and my energy have not been good. And I'm like, you know, doing all the things you're supposed to do, like exercising and all that shit. And it's, it's getting, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on just cause everything's just kind of blah. But of course that just could be just depression. I have it. And sometimes it hits, but I, started a new novella three times and today I just made myself continuing to go with it even and even though I think every word is garbage I did get six seventeen hundred words today so my new novella has started and um, I'm questioning everything it's awful but I'm gonna keep going <laughs> no that's a perfect that's a perfect start it's a classic start really I feel like um no dude that's the essence of what we do here and that's the essence of being um a professional, I think, is writing through that feeling of this is garbage and I hate everything and it's and it's terrible, you yeah. know, because uh, I don't trust a writer who doesn't feel that way at some point in their process, honestly. I'm like, you weird freak. Are you an alien? What's wrong with you? Um, yeah, that's just part of the, that's part of the gig, man. But I think what what separates, uh, you know, the pros from people still figuring it out is you persevere and you finish the thing you get the words down on the page and you have something to work with and you use your knowledge of the craft to shape it into what you need it to be you know that's what we do yep uh, have you tried uh, bringing a long sleeve teamer uh no it's beautiful outside <laughs> i got to say i had a birthday lunch with some friends the other day and we went to indian and they brought out samosas, so I got a picture of them and sent them to Matt and asked if they if, if he thought they would be serving any s'mores at this restaurant because Matt and I are terrible, terrible office nerds. 
Indeed. And, like 50 percent of our friendship is based on quoting the office back and forth to each other. Yes. Yes. Um, and yes, the audio has been mentioned. I tried to I tried to futz with it. It was a very bad idea to futz with it during the live stream. So I don't know what to do right now. I apologize. Um, really, the highlight was when you kind of just started yanking cords out of things and holding them up like fresh kills. Yep. That was that was my favorite part. Yep. It didn't it didn't work, but you took decisive action and I respect that. That's what I've been trying to do. <laughs> I'm looking at Vinny's website right now and he's got six reasons why my mic might not be working for me. Yeah. Well, thank God for Vinny and his listicles. What would we do without Vinny? I know, I know. Making, I'm, I'm making lists see, for us. I'm looking to see what get, uh, what Vinny has to say. Um, my USB port might be dirty. Anyway, okay. So we're here to talk about business. There's been a lot of a lot of stuff going on in publishing. There always is, really. But um, there's yeah, there's never not. We wanted to talk. Uh, well, you came up with the topic, Matt. You you start us off. I, I did, but I do like the way you named it. I like I like ethical actions in publishing because <laughs> you say we're going to talk about ethics. That sounds boring as yes. you know whale vomit. So, but it's not. It's really Mur and I. We were talking about just it's it can be hard to navigate the publishing landscape these days with a clear conscience. Honestly, that's really what it comes down to because we've got you know a huge labor movement going on we've got strikes uh every other day it seems like some older uh and i hate to pigeonhole the elderly it's not necessarily about that it's not always an elder either but some author we all respected or looked up to you know goes full fascist white supremacist on us and we have to deal with that and it's just uh there's a lot of stuff happening that makes you kind of go how do i react to this and uh you know be, while being able to look at myself in the mirror in the morning and go, I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can to, to advance my career and be a good person at the same time is really yeah. what it kind of came down to. Because so we started, we, yeah. We, we fully support the people who are striking. I mean, we, we believe people need to be paid a living wage. And also, if we got happy, healthy people on the other end of our books, our books are going to be better. It's Absolutely. just, it just makes sense. So even if you're just a cold, hard capitalist asshole, you could still be on their side because happier people make better books. No, I'm hardcore supporter of the support staff at, at publishers and deserve to be, they deserve to be paid all the money in the world because they make it happen. And um, obviously in the, this specific, and the thing is, this isn't specifically about the HarperCollins strike. It's, this was kind of the catalyst for the conversation. They've reached a tentative agreement, which is, which is great. I hope they're getting everything they asked for because what they asked for was stupidly reasonable and there was no reason they should have been on strike two months to get it. And HarperCollins uh, management are fucking assholes, but that's neither here nor there. Um, that strike is settled, so doing an episode about how to support that specific strike seems kind of redundant at this point. But it's really more about, like, and as I was saying to Murr, I doubt this is the last one of these we're going to see, because publishing, the publishing industry is a vast, complex, and largely unfair uh, landscape. So we wanted to kind of talk about, as authors, how do you... And a lot of people have been confused about this, too. You know, you see a lot of confusion on Twitter about what... Like, what are the things you can do to support strikes and support labor while still trying to maintain this thing you call a career? You know, because those two things can seem to be in counterbalance. Is it like, 
and you know, it was tough for me too in this particular instance. Like I, uh, my middle grade publisher is Catherine Teagan, which is a HarperCollins imprint. Right. So I very much wanted to make sure that I was able to conduct the business I need to conduct to the best of my abilities because I want my books to sell, but also be um, a supporter of the strike in every way I could and, you know, help them however I could. <clears throat> and, you know, a lot of people were like, are we not supposed to buy HarperCollins books? Are we, like, if I have a book, is it bad to promote the book? Like, there was a lot of confusion going on about that. And really, the simplest thing uh, you can do is just listen to the organizers. That's that's really what it comes down to. I that, That's the guideline I use. It's like, I'm going to support this uh, movement the best I can, and I will do what the organizers uh, behind this thing are asking me to do. And the uh, the HarperCollins, uh, everybody who organized, the union that organized the strike, were very uh, open and upfront and very informative about what they were asking people to do and and not to do. You know, they made graphics. They had they're all over social media. You know, H uh, HPC Union um, on Twitter. I just followed that. And uh, if you just listen to the organizers, they'll tell you what to do. And nobody was asking anyone with a a book with Harper Collins not to promote your book or try to sell your book. They also weren't advising anyone. They literally had graphics about this. We're not asking anyone to boycott HarperCollins books. They were actually encouraging people to buy HarperCollins books from indie publishers. Mm -hmm. That was their big thing with that. But they specifically said, we love authors. We want their books to sell. So absolutely go out there and promote your books and please everyone go buy books from indie publishers. What they asked people to do, and they were very, they were very clear about it, was just while the strike is going on, Agents and authors, please hold off on submitting any new works to HarperCollins while we're on strike. They asked freelancers, if you're a freelancer, please don't do any freelance work for HarperCollins or their imprints while we're on strike, because that's scabbing crossing picket line. And they were asking uh, reviewers, please hold off on reviewing HarperCollins titles while we're on strike. Those were the big things they were asking from people, which I felt was very reasonable. Um, the last one I think trip, could trip people up a little bit because you're saying, all right, we want to, we still want to support authors. We don't want anybody to review anything. And that's, I get that that seems a little counterintuitive, but like, we're all trying to figure this shit out. They need to accomplish their goals. They still want us to accomplish our goals, but there's gotta be some compromise in between. So I personally found that to be completely fair on the organizer's part and very easy to follow, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then in addition to that, you know, they ask for support by, donating money and food to the strike line and writing letters and emails to management and signing the open letters they put out. It was all very easy stuff. And there were all kinds of ways you contrib could contribute uh, that took, you know, didn't take a lot of time and a lot of effort. So it was a very well-run strike and a very well-run campaign. You just kind of had to listen to the organizers and, and follow along. That's all. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know what to do because the thing about boycotts and strikes are if something's big enough to do enough harm to where people feel it needs to be boycotted, they're going to have the decisions made at the top by people who already have a big bucket of money. They just right. have bigger buckets of money. And to deny them their bigger bucket of money, you have to take people who are just you and me trying to work a job and support a family and not making any of these terrible decisions and would actually benefit in the long run from the boycott, but not in the short run, because they're the ones you're actually hurting. And so that is what makes these things so confusing. And I don't know if I've ever heard 
maybe I just don't pay it close enough attention. I'll admit it. But I haven't heard a lot of people giving such clear guidance to the public at large as the Harper Collins strike organizers did. Yeah, that's... absolutely. That's what I, yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. It was really, it was a very good model for how something like that should be run in my, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it was very thoughtful. It took everything into consideration and came up with the best uh, compromises and the best guidelines that it could with, you know, so, so many, cause you got so many things in conflict, man. Like it's just, it's really, it was really tough to be, um, a HarperCollins author watching this going on and having books to promote and you know trying to and trying to support the strike at the same time you felt you did feel kind of put uh, in the middle of it but it's it was such a necessary thing that, that was happening you know I wanted to support it in any way I could and, and you know it was just it, it was like and I was at the point um, in the process with my publisher where we had finished the last book I had under contract and it was the point where I would have pitched them the next thing because I was I was on a one book contract with them, but I had I now had the window to like let's try to sell them another book because you've got an editor there, you've got the thing in place, and it's it's the easiest sale you're going to make. And I had to tell myself, all right, well that's just not an option right now. I gotta I gotta wait until they get this thing uh, settled, and it's not an easy thing to do. Just it goes against all your freelancer author instincts because yeah. you know it's so hard it's so hard to make deals and sell books. And here you've got a friendly agent and a friendly publisher who have bought three of your books already and are and are completely open to you just hitting them up and going, hey, what about this thing? And then you know if they like it, they'll give you a bunch of money, and you've got to go, no, that's okay. Just, I'm not going to do that right now. It's tough, but it's it's necessary. And I and I you know again, I can look at myself in the mirror and go, all right, I did what I could uh, per the organizer's guidelines to support this thing, and. Uh, you know, I can at least live with myself, even if it might have cost me a little bit of money in the interim. You know, it's 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 what you got to do, Mer. It's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I'm glad so, I'm glad that's that's fixed, but it's good to keep in mind for the future because uh, publishing on the like the assistant level, it's really bad. It's bad all over. I, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. I know somebody who, like worked on several Hugo Award nominated books um, as an assistant to a big editor. And then when she asked for a promotion, they're just like, yeah, you haven't, you haven't done enough important books. And she's like, it's just here. And she left. Yeah. They're right here. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. The high, yeah. The the structural systemic stuff is so fucked, and that's why I'm, that's why I wanted to talk about this. Because like while they while the HyperCollins while they've reached an agreement, I sincerely doubt this is going to be the last time uh, we see this. Because it's not it's not like this was the only problem with the publisher, and now it's fixed. Yeah. Like this is still a deeply broken industry. It's still horribly centralized in a terribly expensive place that they don't pay enough people to live in. It's still a horribly gate kept thing that uh, needs incredible strides to be made in the diversity department like there's all kinds of shit wrong with it and there's gonna be more um there's gonna be more of a reaction to it more strikes and more labor movements and you need to know how to navigate that shit so i just thought so i just we just thought it was important to talk about using the harper collins uh, uh, strike as a model because again it was a very well-run strike with very reasonable um you know guidelines and when in this 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 kind of situation comes up even if it's not a full-blown uh, you know, taking it to the street strike. I think these are good things to remember moving forward. Ways you can support um, these kind of movements and these kind of things that you know don't don't uh, cost too much or take too much of your time. There are things you can do to help and and 
how you can ethically navigate them. So those are ethical actions you can take, Mer. See, I brought it all the way back. I see. You did. You did. It was nice, nice book ending there. Um, yeah, there's there's news from the HWA, too. <clears throat> We're a long time. Uh, yeah. um, author just kind of did, as, as my old agent Jen says, did a racist and then <laughs> doubled down and got on this long podcast and did more racist stuff and um, has now been banned from the HWA, had his Lifetime Achievement Award taken mm-hmm. away and uh, kicked out of or banned from several conventions. And I'm just trying to figure out are 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 just some? Is it the pandemic? I mean, I know people. There's there's the racism's around all over the place, right? Not, but it's like there seems to be some sort of switch that's flipped lately, where someone who's completely rational will suddenly think it's okay. Not you don't know what's going on inside somebody's head, but right. it's like most people know you don't. You you, you shouldn't say it out loud, right? And, um, yeah. and they just just. Go ahead and do that, and then get upset when the snowflakes go, you know what, maybe you shouldn't be racist. And if you are, maybe you should do it behind your own door so we don't have to see all the shit that you're smearing around on the walls. And I I don't know what... what, You would think. You would think common sense would dictate. I I just think it's time, or I don't... You know, I think I think time is the catalyst um, in this particular case. And it was Tom Monteleone. Like, there's no reason not to say his, he's not fucking Voldemort. We can say his name. Um, I didn't know how to pronounce his last name. And I don't no, know right. the author very well. So that as an aside is very interesting because like a lot of because it's a, so it's the Horror Writers Association. And Tom Monteleone is, a, is an editor and a horror writer that goes back decades and it's interesting how compartmentalized genres get to me because it was very strange to me that so many people from like uh, science fiction and fantasy have no idea who he is or really anything that goes on in the horror community. I didn't, yeah. I, I, I always forget the things are so segmented because I kind of, I, really I started are. out more, I started out more in horror and I don't really, I don't write a lot anymore for some reason. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just too happy these days, Mar. Um, that, that's a joke. Uh, but yeah, I just, so I was very aware of it. It was actually, it was really kind of personal uh, for me when the, when this whole thing happened because Tom Monteleone, um, under Pope, his Borderland Anthology of Grammar, and they were. He, he, Tom Monteleone um, and his, his wife Elizabeth, they edited a series of horror anthologies called Borderlands that um, I was like a huge fan of uh, 20, like 20 years ago when they, were, when they were coming out. I was living in New York and just starting to submit short stories. And like the Borderlands anthologies were like my gold standard because they were really, they kind of did what. Um, the Ellison anthology, whatever the hell it was called back in the day, a uh, dangerous visions. It was yeah. kind of like that. It was more, it was stuff that um, you didn't, you didn't see in a lot of the more mainstream. It was, it was not, it was more like left of center of mainstream horn, just really groundbreaking, groundbreaking writers and really great writers. And Tom Monteleone, I submitted a borderland so many times trying to get in and Tom Monteleone wrote me the first personal rejection letters I ever got as an author. Ooh. And they were incredibly encouraging to me like they meant they meant a lot to me it kept me going when i was just collecting my you know literally hundreds of rejection letters as a as a terrible you know newbie writing teen and i still have them and they're like very 
they've always been very treasured personal objects to me in my writing career. So that was that's the perception of Tom Monteleone I always had ingrained uh, in my head. And then all of a sudden, you know, you sign into Twitter 20 years later, and it's like Tom Monteleone has gone full fascist, and he's saying trans people are evil and are from the devil, and he's going on screen like really trite screeds about how you know they as a singular pronoun is ruining the English language. And just all this horrible shit, and you're like, God damn, really, Tom? It can't be that tough. I literally DM someone I followed, and I'm like, is it this Tom Montalion? Is there another? I oh, did. No. I, yeah, and I know. I know how ridiculous that is, but, like, that's how deep it hit me, because that's how contrary to my perception of the man it was. Like, I didn't, and that's the truth. I didn't want it to be him. I didn't want those memories that I had and that perception I had to be corrupted, because then it reflected on how he'd made me feel about myself. Like, if that guy felt this way about me, maybe I'm an asshole, too. You know, you start having all these really complicated feelings when things like this come up. And, you know, and then, you know, you start to dig in and you find out he's always kind of been a dick. I was watching a, a stream with um, Brian Keane and Christopher Golden where they talked a lot about this because they both know the guy really well and have known him for years. And um, Christopher had terrible stories of how Tom had treated him over the years and how he treated other people. And then I see like Chuck Windig is a very good friend of both of ours. And I've known Chuck for years. And then Chuck tweets that he had a, a, a similar yet completely different experience in mind. Tom had written him a personal rejection letter early on and it basically told him to quit writing. And he said it really fucked him up and like was one of the worst letters he ever got, Chuck did. And that like blew my mind too. I was like, Jesus, he, but he was encouraging to me, you know, and that's, and that's a lesson in and of itself, man. And that's something that always happens with abusers or people like this, or just when people are exposed, you've always got a lot of people who try to defend them by saying, but he was always really nice to me. You know, I never saw him be mean to anybody or be fascist or be racist or whatever. And that's also a good example of why that is no defense at all. It's just, that's how people like that are. They know who to, they somehow internationally know who to be cool to and who yes. not to be cool. Although with Chuck, he kind of fucked up a little bit because Chuck's fucking huge now. Yeah. Um, but so that's one lesson right there. And that's something, but again, frankly, that's something I've learned. And that sort of, that sort of mirrors what I think goes on with people like Tom Monteleone. It's like me, when I'm faced with that situation, I could have internalized it and dug my heels in and said, no, I refuse to believe that about my Tom Monteleone. All of you people must be wrong. Like, that's a choice I could have made. Thankfully, I've been around enough and experienced enough to go, my perception was false. This is the reality of it. This is what all these people have experienced and are saying about them. I need to accept that and deal with my own shit and just go, you know, this was important to me. It was important to me. It was positive to me. But he's an incredibly negative influence that's making all these other people feel terrible. And, and, he, and what happened to him deserved to happen. And, you, you know, you got to do that. Whereas Tom, I think, reached a point in his life, and not knowing him personally, but I think he reached in his life where he kind of felt like the culture's passing me by a little bit. People are forgetting that I wrote all these books and did all these things. And you get frustrated, you get angry, and, <clears throat> you know. And he, who can and I he, blame? And who can I blame? And that's that's what it comes down to. And so I think, he, you know, he started off the way a lot of people start off, the way the Rawlings and all these other people start off. Small increments, you know, a little rant on Twitter that was that was bad, but it wasn't anywhere near where he ended up. And people started pushing back on that. They're like, hey, man, like, I think you need to take a look at yourself and maybe who you're projecting onto. And when they're confronted like that, 
that's when they make the choice. They say, hey, I can examine myself and my anger and where I'm directing it and ask myself, maybe I'm misdirecting it, maybe I'm mad about this other stuff, or I can run straight into the embrace of the worst people on the internet who will tell me, no, no, you're right and everyone else is wrong. And unfortunately, Tom, like many before him, hit that fork and he took the hard right into the hard right. And he went on a full white supremacist podcast and just said every horrible thing that he could possibly think about, about everyone who wasn't a cis, you know, straight, able-bodied white man. And as a result, he's been kicked out of the HWA and had his lifetime achievement board taken away and fuck him. He deserves it, you know, but yeah. it's just, it's tough, man. So I, I understand the process. It's just sad to watch so many people fail at it over and over again. Cause it's such a predictable thing. You know, it's yeah. the same, Again, it's the same thing with like rolling. It's the same thing with uh, the Father Ted guy whose name escapes me. You know, it starts off just feeling a little alienated and feeling a little left behind. And instead of examining that, they seek out the worst ideologies and elements who will just reassure them that no, no, you're awesome and everyone else is wrong and to blame. It's just, mm-hmm. it's really, fu- it's really fucking sad. But you got to be able to let go though, as as the person who was the fan, the person who admired them, as the person who they may have meant something to. You got to be able to detach from that because the worst thing you can do is become like them. You know, uh, Graham Linham, 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 I've never been clear to say that. So polluted so many uh, great British comedies with his fucked up or yes, he did. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Uh, Premi says the impression I got from Twitter afterwards, what if you didn't have a white sounding name, you got much less nice personal rejections. From Tom, I'm sure that's absolutely the truth. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Matt Wallace, and I'm sure he was like, all right, you're one of mine. I'll, I'll take care of you, kid. But, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. And if I have not been totally clear, fuck Tom Montilio. He's dead to me. I, th- I think you were pretty clear. But good. that could be because I know you, so Just probably good that you clear. said it. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to discover. I mean... Sorry, I'm I'm realizing the path I'm going down is not quite right. That's good. That's self-reflection. Yeah, self-awareness. yeah. That's, that, that's something that Tom Montalions of the world have abandoned. So I applaud you for exercising that. Yeah. So Lineham Lyon, yeah. is the name. Graham, Graham Lineham. Um, I, I will say this. A lot of times meeting your heroes is tough. And it's because, I mean, the bigger... And more wealthy and more powerful you get, the more people seem to buy into the fact almost that this is like, this is God given and, or my own hard work 100% given, which makes me right. better than everybody else. And um, if they don't see me, if everybody else doesn't see me as awesome as I think I am, then fuck them. And they can really start to believe that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Entitlement has a huge amount to do with it. Um, And as you're saying that, I I think a big part of it, too, is just, you know, when you and and this is just the absolute fucking truth. It's like the Tom Montelions of the world in their day had the industry to themselves for a very long time. Yeah. You know, it was the land of the straight, you know, able-bodied white man. It it just was overwhelming. I mean, still is by the numbers to a huge extent, but... You know, it shifts a few percent on them and they feel like the rug's being pulled out from beneath their feet and they're plummeting, you know, to depths hitherto unknown because they had it to themselves for so long. Yeah. Completely arbitrarily and for no reason. It had nothing to do with meritocracy. It's just, you know, publishing wouldn't let anybody else in. So, 
it's just you know for, to, to from 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 Tom's perspective, those were the golden day, those were the golden years, and now they're yes. being ruined by all these people coming up who don't uh, look like him, and so he'd rather go. Well, they're only getting let in because they look the way they do, even though they were kept out for so many years because they look the way they do. It makes no fucking sense. Yeah, whatsoever. yeah, yeah. But that's yeah, that's a, I think that's a huge part of it, and it feeds into that entitlement you're talking about, and you know you got. He must have had 30, 40 years. He's been around a long time. 30, 40 years of that kind of entitlement just ingrained in his head, being reinforced by the industry and by his readership and by everybody. And, you know, that that level of grandeur gets challenged. It gets really fucking ugly. But, um, yeah, man. And, again, I, we're talking about this, again, so it's not just specifically about Tom Monteleon, even though it just had that personal connection to me, but because... He's not the first, and he's not going to be the last, sadly. And, you know, eventually it's going to be, It's even if it hasn't been yet, it's going to be somebody that means something to you, and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that when it happens. And so I just wanted to, we just wanted to share that, Murray, I want to talk about it, I want to share that experience, and hopefully maybe that helps you a little bit when you find yourself at that unfortunate crossroads of, like, I looked up to this person, they inspired me, they may have even helped me. But they're now exposing themselves to, you know, not be a friend of the community on one level or another. It's a, it's a difficult thing, man. And it's, it's, it sucks. But like I said on Twitter, I'd always rather know than not know. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. <laughs> someone was talking about uh, how this kind of thing has sort of ruined social media for them. <laughs> not, you know, and I get that. But there was also kind of a tone of almost blaming social media for it. Or at least that was my interpretation. And that, that bothered me. Because, listen, man, there's a lot of toxic shit with social media, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's that. I don't blame anybody for getting burnt out on it or not wanting to deal with it or needing to step back from it. That's completely understandable. But I also, you know, and I think I even said it's like social media doesn't make these people become anything. It just gives a voice to the people that have survived them. And... On that score, you know, you can't blame social media for it. And again, I'd always rather know than not know. So I'm grateful for social media breaking those things in that aspect. Because, like, you know, if Tom wasn't on Facebook, we probably never would <laughs> never would have known uh, the uh, the darkness harbored within there. That's and again, as an active member and an elder in the HWA and as a lifetime achievement member, you have a lot of power. You have a lot of stroke. You have a lot of influence. You have a platform and a voice. And if that's how he's going to fucking use that, and if he's going to make everybody in that organization feel rightfully feel unsafe, then he needs to be checked. And I'm glad that he was out. So yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick in the chat, we don't we don't really track it on Ditch Diggers, but on I should be writing, we track rejections and uh herb bohemian hi herb welcome glad to see you're here uh was asking why uh hs valley said uh there was a new rejection and we were going yay is because rejections suck mm -hmm. they really do we're not we're, we're not trying to deny that but they also mean you're a working writer and it's got rejections are gonna happen mm -hmm. um whether you're new or, you know, well-established, they're going to happen. So what we try to say is you're doing the job of a professional writer. And there are lots of people out there who are not ready or don't feel ready or are just too scared to submit. And so when you get your rejection, you're telling people like, no, I, I have the courage to do that. And I can, as the drinky song says, I can get knocked down and get back up again. And so, and it's fun to be able 
to cheer something. So we we track the we track the rejections on my other podcast and cheer for them because um, they they happen to everybody and yeah, it's absolutely. good to just remember that it's a uh, it's part of the job. And so you're doing the job and that's a good thing. Absolutely, man. I literally, like I said, I've got I do, and I have I have every single one. I have every rejection I've ever collected. I think I have somewhere between three and four hundred of them in my files. Mm-hmm. It was six six or seven years before I sold, you know, a ten dollars short story to an e-zine in like two thousand five or whatever. And that's it's parts the gig, man. And hey, if you can if you can do a lot better than that, you know, if you only get a few, or if you get none, or if you sell the first thing you ever put out there, it's great. But it does happen. More power to you. But yeah. It's, it's part of the journey, and uh, it's putting yourself out there, man. People, a lot of people underestimate that. It's hard to put yourself out there like that, you know, to be to be judged yeah. openly, because that's what's going to happen. You're going to submit a story, and they're going to judge it, you know, worthy or not worthy by their standards. And we must always remember, it's just a person reading your thing, and, like, it's their personal taste. It's not necessarily a reflection on you or your quality or whatever they may have just had a bad lunch that day for all we know mm-hmm. but you are you are going to be judged and you need to be ready for that and it's it's amazing thing that you put yourself out there and you you took that hit and you're going to move on and keep going so absolutely always celebrate your rejections yes indeed um were there any other ethics stuff we wanted to talk about I mean, you know, it's it's a really broad topic. But yeah. Those were kind of, I'm just saying, I don't mean, we, we, We've covered everything. We've covered all the ethics. Now go on and live an ethical yeah. life, everyone. Exactly. We're done. There's nothing more to be said about ethics. Now, there's a lot There's a lot more to be said, but those were the specific things that had kind of been bubbling in my head lately. And I felt like they were all kind of related to, like I said at the beginning of the show, just sort of how to navigate this whole landscape and, and feel okay about yourself at the end of the day you know yeah and i mean part of the like the tom Montalion thing uh, it doesn't it we didn't really get into this aspect of it but sometimes people like that it can also be a thing of i know this person they may be in a position to help my career i don't want to like go against them kind of thing you know that's oh, another yeah that is a that's another thing you have to deal with that and and you know like i said i didn't i guess i didn't get into this case because it's not that like i don't know tom Montalino personally he's just a guy who wrote me a letter 20 years ago that you know meant something to me but that's also part of this like and that's that's when it gets really sticky when it's a friend when it's someone you know really well when it's someone you're involved with in a business capacity you know that's when you're really kind of put to the test and and that's i think that's when it becomes the most important to kind of look inside and and use all the tools and have all the realizations that we talked about a while ago because you know when you go against that for your own personal interests for me that's when i wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror anymore and there are plenty of people who who make that choice who you know are like no i'll continue to be in business with this person because it serves my interests and it'd be too hard to detach from them and even if it's not a business thing, it can be a personal thing. It can be like, they're my friend, and I refuse to believe this about them. And again, that gets into how it reflects on you. And, you know, I think a lot of that comes from not wanting to internalize, you know, if I've been friends with that person, what does it say about me kind of thing? And those, those I think, are the hardest decisions to make. Well, yeah, but like you said, a lot of people like this know who they can be honest with, and they yeah. know who they think it's okay to shit on. Yeah. Um, you know, there was some, you know, there, there have been guys who've done, you know, grooming or sexual harassment in the industry and, but they don't do it to all the women. 
No, no. They, 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 they do yeah. it to newcomers. They do it to people they see as innocent and hungry. And so when they get caught out, they have a whole bunch of women friends going, I've never seen act- activity like this. So clearly this is untrue. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's it totally is true because these kinds of people know exactly who to target. And uh, you you got to understand that if you're one of those people who just have never seen this kind of activity, that just means you didn't see it. That doesn't mean it wasn't there. Yeah, and don't, you know, don't allow them to make you complicit or an accomplice because they, they you know, were smart enough or just had good enough instincts to plant those seeds early on, that, you know, to enable them to go fuck with other people. Yeah. You know, that's... That's how I looked at it, because I'm, you know, flat out, I've been in that situation. You know, the whole, there was the period there where, like, Mike Cole was getting outed and Sam Sykes was getting outed, even though both of them seemed to be fucking doing fine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Paul Kruger was one of those guys, he's age is simply to mind. I, he, was, he was a friend, and I was really friendly with him, liked him a lot, and, you know, I had to make that choice. It's like, am I going to believe the women who are talking about it, or I'm going to be like, no, no, not my friend uh, Paul, and I chose to believe the the people that had survived them and that's it was a difficult choice to make and sometimes i still have a twinge of feeling a feeling shitty about it like i turned on them or something but like at the end of the day it, it comes down to are you who are you going to believe and the kind of person you want to be and what do you want to do and, you know that was that was a hard that was a hard time but i don't regret it you know i think i did the right thing and i think i sided with the right people who needed the support and that's all you can do yeah yeah but yeah, that's the other side of it, and that's that's when it really does get sticky, and that's when you really gotta remember this stuff and not let yourself do what the Tom Montilions of the world do, which is decide everyone else is wrong and you're right, and yeah, you know, take um, that hurt right before. I do want to bring up one quick thing. Uh, this is an inside baseball term in I, I think it's mainly science fiction or genre in general. Uh, or maybe writers in general. I actually don't know how deep inside baseball it gets, but there's a term called a missing stare. And oh, yeah, right. the missing stare is this guy shows up, you're you're at a convention, the guy shows up at a party, and somebody comes up to you and says, yeah, he's had a few, don't go near him. He, he, he's, he does the Asimov thing of grabbing butts, or he'll try to get you in a corner and kiss you, or something, and you're thinking, and you let him in? And it's like, no, everybody knows, you know, you don't, just don't, don't go over there or avoid him or whatever. Right. That's called the missing stare where everyone's like, okay, if you walk down this these steps, you're going to want to skip one of them or else you'll fall. And that is so apparently there's like, there's a lot of whisper networks about people like this. But the thing is, if you're new to the genre or you're new to writing, you're not going to hear it. Mm-hmm. And so you know, there are a lot of people have kept, have have remained missing stairs instead of being called out because of fear of professional retribution. Um, but if you hear the word "someone is a missing stare," that's what that means. Yeah, no, and I hadn't, you know, even being in the genre, I as this because it's not something I have to fucking worry about walking around. Um, I hadn't heard the term "missing stairs" or heard about Whisper Networks until literally just a few years ago, which is kind of you know, made me feel like I was not doing my job. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is terrible. So, you know, even if you're not, I guess the point I'm making is even if you're not new to the scene or to the industry or the community, 
you know, if you have the right kind of privilege, you don't necessarily know about these things because you've never had to know about them. You yeah. kind of have to make the effort to get informed and to get involved and to and to help where you can, man, and use that privilege and use this to the best of your ability to like out these fucking people and make sure that they don't prey on your on your community. Yeah, you know, indeed. So. Um... Well, Matt, I think we both need to be uh, wrapping up now. Um, Matt and I have a new schedule. Um, we're going to be every other week. We're going to be meeting between ourselves on Fridays, every other Friday, to talk about the next Monday's stream. So we're going to be, like, planning and shit. Hey, we're more prepared. See, I did research for this. Mm-hmm. I had all the Har- I had all the HarperCollins Union stuff in front of me for mm-hmm. reference. Like, I think everything went much... After the 40 minutes where we couldn't podcast, after that, I think things went very smoothly. I'm not in any way placing blame. I'm just the irony of we met Friday to, like, prepare for the show and make sure we really prepped. And then this and whole class... I was trying to was... make the audio get better, and I killed yeah. it entirely. <laughs> There's yeah. uh, there's a meta there's a metaphor in there somewhere, Mer. I don't. We're not going to dissect it now. Anyway, we'll it um, and in two weeks, I believe we will have Mary Robin at Kowal on the show, and we're going to be talking about something I've been wanting to talk to people about for years and years and years, which is uh, I call it like new writer. I, I call it professional writer two hundred one, which is after you've made nice. some sales, shit people don't tell you about, nice. and um. Mary Robin has had some blog posts along that line, so I've been excited to have her on the show to talk about oh, yeah. um, that kind of thing. So she'll be on in two weeks. Fantastic. Can't wait for that. Yeah. So, um, Matt, you want to tell us where to find you online? Yeah, I'm still clinging to the dying days of Twitter. Um, at Matt F. and Wallace. Uh, I'm on Mastodon, too, but I don't remember what the thing is, and I'm not really posting there, but I'm still I'm still on Twitter. Because it's all I know. It's very sad. The whole thing is very sad and codependent. Um, but you can also find me on Instagram at the same uh, handle. I'm trying to post there more. And matt-wallace.com is my website. Um, got a bunch of books coming out this year, including the Savage Rebellion trilogy in June with Savage Crowns. Go pre-order that if you can. And catch up on the two books, the first two books, Savage Legion and Savage Bounty, if you haven't done that yet. And then... Uh, we just announced my next middle grade book, Nowhere Special. That's coming out in October. I'm really excited about that. I think it's the best middle grade book I've written so far. I'm really proud of it. So. That's very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So I don't know if that's over priority yet, but I just thought I'd put the bug in here now. Um, so got a lot of things going on this year. Got a new agent again. I'm going to announce that soon. So mm-hmm. stay stay tuned, folks. Stick with me. I'm, I'm doing stuff. Yeah. What about you, Murray? You, you've got things. I've got things. I'm doing stuff. I'm uh, currently just I'm out of I, I'm writing something I'm not contracted for, <clears throat> which is exciting, and um, yeah, Chaos Terminal will be out in several months, so that's not on the schedule yet. But I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a a good book. I'm happy with it. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow me and my podcasts and my books and the uh, magazine that I co-edit. With uh, The Kids Are Asleep, Escape Pod, you can go to merverse.com. That's where you find all the stuff about Mer. I have a very Googleable name. You can, it's Mer with one R. And um, yeah, I stream on Twitch Mondays at 2, 
Tuesdays, Thursdays at 3, and this is all Eastern, Eastern Standard Time. Um, I might be doing a Thursday night gaming stream, but they baseball came out, had two seasons, and then went on hiatus again, so I'm not sure if that's going to keep going, so we'll see. Um, thank you, everybody, in the chat, especially for your patience while I screwed up all the audio. Um, I'll see if I can fix something along the lines. Um, we'll see. But uh, And thank you, Matt. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back, Bert. This podcast was produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Music provided by Devo Spice, devospice.com. Ditch diggers! This is a free podcast brought to you by the kindness of our patrons. If you would like to also be kind and a patron, go to patreon.com slash mightymurr.